You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Caroline Hyde's off this week. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up on the program, full coverage of Apple as the stock pops on an analyst upgrade despite news of a looming antitrust suit from the Justice Department. Details ahead. Plus, the smartphone giant facing a legal setback in its smartwatch patent dispute with Massimo. More on the story and an interview with the Massimo CEO later this hour. An Apple competitor, Samsung, unveils a new slate of products to compete with the iPhone maker, including an upcoming health tracking gadget, the Samsung Ring. All that and so much more ahead. Look, Apple is going to dominate the program today. And in the equity space, it's interesting. Apple is the biggest mover to the upside on the Nasdaq 100 and the S&P 500. The main catalyst is that upgrade from Bank of America, from neutral to buy. And the thesis that they outlined is actually there's a lot of upside coming with the Vision Pro. You will have seen loads of images on social media of the Vision Pro in recent days. They also have confidence in an upgrade cycle on the iPhone side as well, going through 2024. Then there are the more negative headlines, and this is what we're going to discuss with our team today. Bloomberg reporting, according to sources, that a suit from the Justice Department in the antitrust context could come as soon as March. Fold into that that Apple from today will have to sell its Series 9 and Ultra 2 watch with the oxygen reading functionality disabled via software because of the Massimo patent dispute that is ongoing. We have a key interview later in the hour. Right now, the focus is on that pending DOJ suit out in D.C. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Leah Nyland, who is part of the team that reported this. And what we're hearing from sources, Leah, is that this suit could come in March. But what is it about? 
Yeah, so we've heard that the suit could come as soon as March. It might end up being uh, delayed a little bit. But the Justice Department has been investigating Apple since 2019. That's when uh, it also opened its probe to Google. It decided to prioritize the ones against Google, but now it's sort of finally getting back to Apple. And it uh, has focused on a bunch of different things. You know, there have been already the... Um, allegations related to its app store, that it makes its policies uh, unfair to developers. But the Justice Department has honed in on a bunch of different things that Apple has done to its software, as well as the hardware on the iPhone and the iPads that make it harder for rivals to compete. For example, you know, the Apple um, iPhone only works with Apple Pay. It limits what's known as the NFC chip, uh, the near field communication chip, so that it only works with Apple Pay's financial services um, product. It could work with lots of other things, um, and that's one of the things that the Justice Department has taken a look at. You may remember a couple weeks ago we had heard about Beeper, um, how you know uh, Apple has now disabled iMessage from working with this app that sort of um, combines messages from lots of different communications uh, apps and devices. So these are the sorts of things that the Justice Department has really honed in on with Apple. Uh, Leah, the Justice Department, and actually particularly Apple, or specifically Apple, did not comment on the story or declined to comment. My understanding was that the Justice Department was looking at Apple going back to 2019. And these things are always kind of read between the lines. You know, I, tell us where their investigation stands and, and kind of the thinking of senior officials at the DOJ as you've had it from sources. Yeah, well, you know, there is an election in November, um, and the Justice Department is always very reluctant to file cases too close to the election because they don't want them to seem politicized. So there's really been a push to wrap up a lot of the investigations that the Biden administration has been doing, particularly in the monopolization era um, area. So they, you know, have been investigating Apple for a really long time. So it's really time for them to uh, sort of make a decision and move on if they are or are not going to um, bring this suit. Um, the European Commission in Europe has brought two cases against Apple, one related to the App Store, one related to the Apple Pay issue. And uh, the Justice Department had sort of been holding back a little bit. You know, Epic Games, uh, we've talked about this case before, had brought a case against Apple in 2020. The Justice Department was really interested in that. You know, they actually sent some prosecutors to sit in every day on that trial and monitor where it was going. But uh, when the Supreme Court uh, decided earlier uh, this week that it was not going to extend that case any further, uh, it declined both Apple's appeal and Epic's appeal, that case was really wrapped up. There was nothing more that can happen there. So the justice, that was sort of one of the last things that the Justice Department was waiting to, uh, for to resolve before it makes final decisions about its case. Okay, so mark your calendars for March because Bloomberg and Leah are reporting that a DOJ suit could come in the anti-justice context. But also remember March 7, Digital Markets Act in Europe and Apple needing to make changes to comply with that as well. Bloomberg's Leah Lyon and they're out on the East Coast. Let's get more and bring in D.A. Davidson, senior software analyst Gil Luria. And, and, and Gil, you heard the reporting there from Leah. When we think about the antitrust threat to Apple, is that priced in? I don't believe so. Um, and by the way, great reporting from Leah and the rest of the Bloomberg team. They broke the story yesterday. Um, I believe the implications could be far-reaching because one way or another, Apple's going to have to do something. Either they're going to have to allow these other um, third-party app and equipment providers access 
to some of their closed system, which would degrade the consumer experience, or they're going to have to fight this and deal with whatever the regulators decide to come up on their own. So one way or another, this is going to hurt. Let's not forget the reason all these Apple products work so well is that it is a closed system. That's why it's so seamless and fast and intuitive is because they're the only ones that can use their tools. They don't allow other tools to plug in unless it's through the App Store in a way that they agree to and accept. So any changes that have to happen to them, the DOJ didn't just spend four years working on this case not to make changes, are going to either degrade the consumer experience or hurt Apple some other way. Apple kind of seems a bit besieged right now. You have the Supreme Court decision on the epic dispute and the idea that Apple has to give developers the option to divert consumers away from iOS and the App Store. Then there's the Digital Markets Act. And indeed, you know, on the show last week, Margareta Vestager, the, the EU Competition Commissioner, you know, talked to me about her meeting with Tim Cook and the idea that she's there to say, you've got to comply by March 7th, and this is how you can do it. How serious is all of that in aggregate for Apple? Let's step back. Nobody's picking on Apple specifically. Regulators in the United States and in the European Union are concerned about the power that big technology companies have. They're concerned about the power Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Meta, Google have. They have cases outstanding against all of those. They're blocking acquisitions by all those companies. Apple just happens to be in the headlines this week. But it is, it is something very deliberate on both sides of the Atlantic to prevent these companies from abusing their power. And again, Apple's going to argue the reason we don't let other application providers access to all of our systems is to make a better consumer experience. But the line between that and being anti-competitive is a very thin line. That's what's going to be litigated. And just like it's going to be litigated for Google, for Meta, for Amazon, and for, for Microsoft in other regards. And uh, we're going to have to see how that plays out. But it's not personal against Apple. It really is against big technology companies as a category. And I, I wouldn't for one minute suggest that any regulator in any jurisdiction is taking a personal action or direct action just against Apple. Look, you are neutral on the stock, 166 price target, I believe. The main catalyst for the shares in today's session were up 3% is this Bank of America upgrade uh, to buy from neutral. And they're looking specifically at the Vision Pro and they see upside from Vision Pro, both on hardware sales and services. And that's interesting. I was there the day it was unveiled, and the conversation ever since has been that this is a kind of more niche product directed at developers. It's not yet a mass market product. So I found the B of A call interesting, but it's moving the market. What's your view? That we were coming off a couple of other uh, sell-side analysts downgrading the stock, including the sell, and so the sentiment was pretty low. That's a lot of what you're seeing today. Vision Pro is a niche product. Very few people are going to spend $3,500 on a product that weighs a pound and is uncomfortable and does some cool stuff, but still costs $3,500. There's products in the market that do most of what the Vision Pro does look like sunglasses and cost a tenth of the price. This isn't a mass market product. When Apple gets to the vision, 
which may be less than $1,000, maybe there'll be broader adoption. But for now, this is a very niche product. For those of, that have experienced some of the um, uh, augmented reality devices from Meta, you know that it's not a product that you're going to use all day, that you're going to spend a lot of money and time on. We'll get there, but based on the current price point and the current capabilities, we're probably years away from this being a mass market product. Uh, Gil, the patent dispute with Massimo, how are you modeling the various outcomes and scenarios in that situation? It shouldn't have a material effect on results here. Uh, there's a few days where the watch wasn't on sale in Apple stores. It was still on sale other places. They've had to do the. They've had to take the feature out using software for the foreseeable future. Very few people are going out there and buying an Apple Watch for the to measure their blood oxygen level. It's a neat feature that has a lot of health benefits and is part of the big picture of the, of the Apple Watch being a healthcare device, but it's not necessarily driving people into the store to buy a watch. So it's not necessarily that there's gonna be a material impact. They will have to settle with Massimo. The product is far, this technology is far more valuable in Apple's hands than it is in Massimo's hands. In Apple's hands, it gets into tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of risks. In Massimo's hands, it does not. So the fact that we can provide a healthcare benefit to consumers broadly has a ton of value. It should be Apple that's doing it. They just have right. to pay Massimo if Massimo has the intellectual property. Gil Luria of DA Davidson, a lot going on. So much Fed speak this week. We watch Fed speak because higher rates discount the present value of future cash flows. And for the tech sector, that is important. Let's get the read on tech markets with Jay Jacobs, US head of Thematic and Active Equity ETFs over at BlackRock. You just heard my preamble. Am I kind of on the money on where the market's thinking right now? I think that's right. In the short term, the Fed is dictating a lot of the moves in the market, especially in technology, where these are frankly long duration assets. When the Fed is indicating that rate cuts might happen sooner or quicker, that tends to be a positive. But right now, it seems like uh, maybe we could have higher rates for longer. There's something really interesting, which is how you view Bitcoin and then the Bitcoin ETF situation. Do you see any evidence that investors with a particular risk appetite diverted money from particularly ETF products that track or follow broadly the technology sector to Bitcoin ETFs or in addition to? Is it one or the other or can you play both? It's difficult to say. I mean, we're still in the very early days of uh, our Bitcoin ETF, IBIT, just launching it on Thursday last week. We've seen tremendous interest so far, uh, bringing in over a billion dollars in the product. But it's coming from a lot of different investor types. We see people who previously had some sort of Bitcoin exposure, but maybe not through as precise a vehicle. You could have seen people, for example, owning Bitcoin miners, you know, equities that are mining Bitcoin, but maybe not kind of as precise as owning spot. We see people who maybe wanted Bitcoin exposure, but couldn't get it. And now they can because of the ETF. And then, frankly, there's a lot of investors who just haven't considered Bitcoin. And they're just starting their educational journey now that the ETF is available. But because of the wide availability of ETFs in general, uh, it's really appealing to many different audiences in the investor world. Uh, Jay, you, the US head of Thematic. And I wondered if we can call AI a or the theme of investing right now. 
Absolutely. I mean, first of all, it was the theme of last year, but we have it as a theme for 2024 as well. The reason being, we're seeing a shift from really what was a proof of concept year for AI with ChatGPT and a lot of generative AI platforms uh, releasing new products to in 2024 being really a commercialization year, seeing more adoption of AI in areas like uh, travel websites where you could have a more conversational uh, itinerary being built. Uh, or you could look at it in terms of home appliances or cars where you could have a conversation with your vehicle rather than you know trying to find a specific button to do something. All of this is applying AI to more everyday interactions. And I think that's gonna lead to a lot of commercialization of these platforms. As the chart that we just displayed indicates, you know, it's about margin and cost saving as much as it is or more than it is about new revenue streams. Really fascinating pie chart there. Do you distill down further, right? If I had a venture capitalist on the show, they would say, well, AI is the blanket or umbrella, but I'm micro-focused, for example, on healthcare and biotech because I see the, that space as the biggest sub-beneficiary of what's happening in AI. Do you take that approach to ETFs as well? I think it's a great way to look at it. AI is, you know, we're calling it a megaforce. It is massive. It impacts so many different aspects of the economy, different sectors, uh, different regions. And I think we have to look at areas like semiconductors, where AI could drive a lot more demand going forward. I think we have to look at areas like digital infrastructure, where, you know, we expect digital infrastructure in the United States to basically double over the next eight years. Um, or you have to look at areas like healthcare, where AI can be applied to things like developing pharmaceutical drugs and in a more cost-efficient and maybe even faster manner. So there's a lot of different use cases for AI, but there's also a lot of different segments of the market that will likely benefit from more AI adoption in 2024 and beyond. Jay Jacobs, BlackRock, U.S. Head of Thematic and Active Equity ETFs. Great to have you on the program. Thank you. Now, coming up here on Bloomberg Technology, we will turn our attention back to Apple as the company faces a legal setback in its patent dispute with Massimo. Much more ahead. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. 
More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Apple's facing another legal setback in its patent dispute with Massimo after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit declined to grant Apple a longer pause on an import ban of the devices and the ban originally imposed by the U.S. ITC. Joining us now is Nicholas Matic, a principal in McCool Smith's intellectual property practice. And there's a lot of legalese here, but I, I want to start with rationale that back in October or prior to that, when Massimo went to the ICC, they, there were five patents at dispute in the case. And the ITC found that Apple had infringed two of them. And within those two infringements, they, they granted Massimo five claims. But if you're a layperson or a consumer, you basically look at that and say, Massimo is throwing just so many claims at Apple to kind of see what sticks. Is that a fair assessment? No, I, I don't think so. That's that's fairly standard in patent litigation, and you know, frankly, defendants actually do the same thing. They throw a lot of different arguments about why all those claims are invalid, and patent owners have uh, have a lot to overcome uh, as well. Plus, when you're when you come up with a new technology, there's a lot of ways to describe it, and that's why patent owners end up getting multiple claims because otherwise, you know, one claim might be too broad and invalid, and another may not cover other products in the market that, you know, that are rightly part of your invention. Uh, Nicholas, how usual or unusual is it for the ITC to have these kinds of proceedings against a very, very large company like Apple? It's very common for the ITC to have these kinds of proceedings. There's lots of them going on right now, even if it, uh, even against uh, large technology companies. What's unusual here is that it made it all the way to a final decision that Apple lost, got the exclusion order against it, and still hasn't settled with Massimo. That's the thing that's pretty unusual. So the Massimo argument is simple. They feel Apple infringed on patents and they therefore want to stop that manifesting itself in an Apple product. One of the things that Apple argued to the contrary is the issue of prosecution latches. Explain that to our audience. So prosecution latches is a legal doctrine that when you apply for a patent, you need to move the application along, and you can't just wait and watch the market uh, while you're uh, while it's while you're prosecuting your patent. It's not terribly well developed. It, you know, it actually only got approved by the relevant Court of Appeals relatively recently or sort of expanded relatively recently. So it's not clear how it's going to shape out here. And in going to the ITC, Massimo would have to demonstrate domestic industry, something Apple might push back on. Explain domestic industry. Yeah, so domestic industry is a unique requirement of the ITC. If you're litigating in you know, federal court, you don't need to show that. But it's basically you can't go to the ITC to get relief there unless you show that you have significant investment in the United States. So you can be a foreign company like Samsung or uh, Ericsson uh, and bring ITC actions, but you have to show that you have a lot of investment in the United States. Nicholas Matic of McCool Smith. This is a hard story to track and understand, and we're grateful for you to explain it to our audience.
Very quick check-in on the markets. The main story is Apple. Now, Apple is moving to the upside because of an analyst upgrade at Bank of America to buy from neutral. The thesis they outline is positivity around Vision Pro. In the news cycle, Apple, as of today, will have to sell its Series 9 and Ultra 2 watch with the blood oxygen monitoring technology uh, disabled, and it's disabled via software. Why? Because an ITC decision on an import ban in October, Apple had appealed to have a longer pause on that ban, which was denied. It is a complicated situation, and the overall appeals process to the ITC situation, first uh, coming about in October, is probably going to take a year. We've got the perfect guest to speak to. Joining us now is Joseph Chiani, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Massimo. And, and Joe, I've, I've tried my best to outline where we stand in the legal proceedings, but it's going to be a year of appeal. So let's start here. How recently have you spoken to Apple in the context of mediation? And what have those talks in the mediation context centered around? Well, I have not spoken to anyone personally regarding mediation. Uh, there are court-ordered mediations that happen regularly during these litigations, not the ITC, but the other two cases we have, both in California and Delaware. Uh, but other, but those are just kind of uh, performa meetings. No one from Apple has reached out, and I'm not, you know, I'm not here pleading for that. But I've offered an olive branch, and if there's a way we could work together, that's fine. If not, I'd rather compete in the marketplace with my technology, not in Apple's products. Joe, just to be clear, in the context of Massimo, the company, because there are other executives, I'm sure you have strong internal legal counsel and outside counsel, there have no conversations taken place at all between your company representatives and Apple company representatives. Well, no executives are talking to Apple. None of the Apple executives are talking to us. Uh, there are court-ordered mediations that I can't get into that I have been held before, and there will be additional meetings probably in the future, but uh, those are not meetings that uh, I consider uh, steps towards settling litigation. As you know, Massimo, uh, being the inventor of measure through motion and low provision pulse oximetry, successfully sued and won two other big cases that took each six to seven years, one with Nelcor, which is part of Medtronic, one with Philips. Once we got an injunction on Nelcor, the CEO of, at the time, Tyco Healthcare called me, apologized, and said, would I meet to settle? And we met, and within 30 days, we settled. Those kinds of calls have not happened. And Joe, we will get to the, the technology discussion in a moment, but you are the CEO of Massimo. Last year, you had around $2 billion of sales. That's about 5% of the segment Apple reports that includes wearables. So it has been hypothesized that a licensing agreement or royalties is one possible outcome. That must be something that you are pushing for hard because it would have a material or needle moving impact on your sales. It takes two to tango. Uh, whether we want it or not, it's gotta be both parties that want it. There are positive reasons for both of us to have it. Probably the biggest positive is uh, the consumers uh, getting a reliable, accurate pulse oximeter, uh, no matter whose watch they're wearing. 
But um, yeah, while I would be happy to have a settlement that's a win-win, uh, I did not file this litigation uh, because of that. I did it because, first of all, principally, it's wrong what Apple does, taking smaller companies' technologies. And in our case, they stole our people, they stole our patents, and they stole our property. So I had no choice as uh, to, to go after them. I'm the CEO of Massimo, and I have to defend Massimo's intellectual property. And in our case, as you know, we make products. You just mentioned we have $2 billion in revenue. The wearable market is a $50 billion revenue. We make the most accurate and reliable pulse oximeter. Uh, even when Apple was making their watch, they thought the most important feature of the watch is pulse oximetry. I have that. I have the medically FDA-cleared product. And it really works. So I intend to get in the marketplace and hopefully gain our rightful share of the market. We showed Apple's statement on the screen a moment ago. But in summary, Apple fundamentally believes that the patents are invalid in the first place in the context of this ITC battle and the associated court battles. And that Apple fundamentally believes they do not infringe them, that their products, as they are today do not uh, reflect what is reflected in the patents. So you, you, you make two competing arguments here. How are you going to prove the opposite is true of that statement that I've just summarized from Apple? We're no longer alleging Apple infringe our patent. Apple has been proven to infringe our patents. And not only the ITC, which the judges are patent lawyers, reviewed, had a hearing, looked at the evidence and found our patents to be valid and infringed. But even PTAB, that generally kills 80 to 90 percent of patents that are brought in front of them in an inter-party review exam, found these patents to be valid. In fact, it's funny because when the judge ruled in our favor, Apple told the commission, which is the commission's full appeals group, that, hey, don't pay attention to what your judge did. The real the real expert is PTAB, and they're going to invalidate Massimo's patents. I think two weeks later, they did not. And then they said, no, 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 we only meant you should look at that if they found Massimo's patents to be invalid. No, our patents are valid. Uh, we are the inventors of this technology. My co-inventor went to Apple and took this technology to them. The only two companies that had this uh, convex-shaped uh, correcting for light piping so that you can get accurate pulse oximetry were Massimo and Apple. Uh, I wonder why. Uh, Joe, I I'm focusing on the ITC uh, decision and ban from October because that is the latest, right, that the action Apple has to take today, selling the, the Series 9 and Ultra 2 with the functionality disabled, directly relates to that process. So that's why I'm focusing there. And in the original ITC decision from October, you submitted five patents in the context of that case, right? The ITC, as you say, found that two Apple had infringed. And within those two, they were allowed, you were allowed to proceed with five claims. But in all, you made more than 100 claims. And the ITC allowed you to move forward with five. To play devil's advocate, how is this not to be interpreted as just throwing everything you can at Apple to see what sticks? Well, first of all, in the entire history of Massimo, and we've had two major litigation, none of our patents have ever been invalidated. Uh, in 
2012, uh, under the American Invents Act, uh, PTAB was created to do IP, to look at people filing uh, processes to kill people's patents. But unfortunately, they created what is known as proper uh, is not clear and convincing evidence to kill a patent, but uh, preponderance of evidence. And that is why 80 to 90 percent of people's patents are getting killed. And Apple happens to be the number one customer of PTAB. So focusing on the ITC case, focusing on this particular litigation, uh, none of our claims were invalidated. ITC itself found our patents to be valid. Some of them they didn't think Apple infringed. Some of them they thought they did. And some of them they thought we didn't have domestic industry on. So no, we have not thrown, uh, we have not thrown our patents against the wall to see what sticks. We are, we've been in business for 35 years. I'm one of the co-inventors of this technology that's revolutionized pulse oximetry that saved babies' eyesights, that has helped people not die of opioid overdose in post-surgical wards. Over 200 million people a year are monitored with our technology. And when Apple wanted to make their pulse oximeter, what did they do? They went and hired my team, as many of them as they could, to develop it for them. So I think this narrative is false. And given that Apple was found to infringe, not just by the ALJ, by the commission, several agencies for President Biden reviewed this to see if they should intervene. They didn't. And the Court of Appeals just enjoined them during the appeal process to have someone say to me, oh, Apple thinks your patents are invalid. Well, you know what? They can, they have their own, what do they call it? They call it just fake reality. I read it in the biography of Steve Jobs. They can live in that reality if they want, but really should the rest of us? Uh, Joe Kiani, Massimo CEO, we're, we're grateful for your time. And I think that what it's clear you and Apple agree on is that pulse oximetry can confer a real benefit from a healthcare perspective to the consumer. One of the arguments that, that the consumer might make and was flagged to me on social media when I said you were coming on the show is that there are people that want to buy the Series 9 and Ultra 2, right? Apple has a great installed base of devices around the world. And there are consumers, therefore, that may, may or may not put off buying that product because Apple is not able to uh, allow the functionality in the context of blood oxygen. You know, explain your thinking on that to me about access to the technology and, and where current proceedings inhibit that for the consumer. Thank you for asking me that question. I'm glad one of your audience did ask that because this is actually really important to me. I have dedicated my life to helping improve people's health care. And I've done it through our innovation. I've done it through advocacy, philanthropy. So when someone says, hey, you took this away from me, uh, I can't buy it anymore. Certainly the people have already have it. They can keep it. It really bothers me because unfortunately, this is one of those alternative universes that Apple has created. In their own internal documents, Apple knew their product wasn't good enough to be relied on medically. They knew it wasn't good enough to be for them to seek FDA clearance. But literally, they said, and this was in 2020, in the middle, in the chaos of COVID, this is quotation in their document, if we launch pulse oximetry with our watch, we'll gain market share from Fitbit. That's why they launched it. Their own testing showed 
it measured twice a day at best on 37% of the population. Pulse oximetry is not useful unless it's a continuous monitor. Bad things happen during sleep. During sleep, you can have a desaturation that might be to apnea. You could have a dangerous desaturation that might be to opioid pain relief you may have taken. That's where the value comes. Our product, which is FDA cleared, can actually do 70,000 plus data points a day. It's a continuous, accurate pulse oximeter. So unfortunately, Apple is masquerading what they're offering to consumers as a reliable medical pulse oximeter, even though it is not. And I really can wholeheartedly tell you the consumers are better off without it if they really need pulse oximetry on their wrist, they should buy ours or they should find another solution that really is accurate and reliable, not something that gives you two measurements a day at best. Joe Chiani, Massimo CEO, we're grateful for your time on the program and for bearing with in what is a complicated uh, process and legal proceedings. Thank you so much. Now, coming up here on Bloomberg Technology, we're going to take the pulse of the venture industry with Caitlin Holloway, founding partner at 776, partner to Alexis Ohanian, who's been on the show many times. Looking forward to meeting a new name. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's get right to the venture industry now with Caitlin Holloway on today's VC Spotlight. She's a founding partner at 776, a venture capital firm founded by Reddit co-founder, Alexis Ohanian, which currently has $970 million of assets, or should we say investable capital. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Ed. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I think we agree that 2023 was a more difficult environment uh, for your industry and the startups that you invest in. 
how has 2024 started for you? <laughs> I know we're only a few weeks in and, and there's already a lot of pretty uh, big headlines out there, especially around, you know, reductions in force and layoffs across big tech. Um, and there's obviously going to be a trickle down effect to uh, the startup industry as well. N negatively or positively? I mean, one idea outlined at the beginning of last year, and we've been saying there's a sense of deja vu because we right. started 2023 with big tech layoffs. But one idea that came out of it is that if you're a startup, there's a lot of talent on the market that might not otherwise be available. There, there are so many incredible opportunities, and, and just for dis, like full disclosure, I'm a consummate optimist. And so I think that there is a huge opportunity ahead of us uh, in 2024 to not repeat the same mistakes of 2023. Um, and we are going into an incredible new chapter. So there's, there's so many things that are, I think, adding to this. So one, we have the accessibility now of AI, and AI is you know, being so prolific within the tech industry, so accessible to, to not only founders, but to consumers. Um, we're also in a post-ZERP era now, right? So we have this big macroeconomic shift um, that is pushing more companies into being more thoughtful about how they are building. Um, and the reality is, is, you know, we have had a depletion of, of funding, of, of dry powder, of capital. And so that's, you know, from the LP standpoint, uh, trickling down, you know, the over, uh, they, they were over-indexed. And then uh, from the venture space with managers not giving out as much capital, being a little bit more reserved last year. And so then the impact going into this, you know, less frothy chapter, um, I think is a real opportunity both for founders as well as for uh, VCs to actually step up and play their part. One of the things about VC Spotlight is it, it's kind of an interesting time to look behind the, the scenes of your industry. You just had your, your firm off-site. We which uh, your, your partner, Alexis Ohanian, shared a little snippet into on social media. What were the discussions you had with one another it, based on what you've just explained to me that's top of mind? You know, what did you all agree to do as a response to that? I, I love this question. Um, I, having been a former uh, head of HR, so I was an HR executive for you know, well over uh, a decade. I will date myself. but. Um, a lot of the practices from building companies, we've actually translated over to building our venture capital firm. And so starting with uh, not only having deep operational expertise on the team of, of folks that were founders themselves, people who have built that zero to one several times, gone through Blitzscale and ultimately taking companies through exit, um, I think is a real advantage for us in this chapter. And so while there is, again, this, you know, the, the headlines of doom and gloom of everyone's going to lose their job, whether it's AI taking it or no capital being available, I think the real opportunity, and this is what we discussed very heavily at our offsite, was how can we as, as the investors, the partners to our portfolio companies really step in and help give this an opportunity for more companies to succeed. So while I do think that there are several companies that will probably not survive this year simply because of capital constraints, not necessarily because uh, they didn't deserve the chance to thrive, but I really, I really think that something that sets 776 apart from the rest of the industry is our deep people expertise. So converting HR folk into investors, slipping from you know one side of the boardroom table to the other to say, I've done that. I've been there with you. And so whether it is assisting with you know helping with that burn rate reduction, and sometimes that includes a layoff, but oftentimes it doesn't need to. And so doing it with heart and doing it with compassion, but really stepping up. And so this is our opportunity to, to re be real partners. All of the promises we make, we have to make good on them. And there's a lot of broad themes in your investment focus as well. 776 founding partner, Caitlin Holloway, just great to have you.
Samsung unveiled the S24 product family on Wednesday, days after the company was dethroned as the world's top phone maker by Apple. Let's break it all down with Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. And the competition's heating up, Mark. What, what caught your eye from Samsung? Thank you for having me, Ed, as always. So it's interesting, right? Samsung, some of these other companies, they typically come out with maybe a breakthrough new camera feature, uh, big hardware changes, uh, new speakers, some overhauled software interface. But this year, you're not seeing new looking software. You're not seeing new looking hardware. Uh, you're seeing AI, AI everywhere. And so what Samsung's doing to get people to buy their latest phones is integrating artificial intelligence throughout the system. I'll give you a couple examples. I think by far the, the coolest example and something I wish I had in college is a new voice memos app. You can record a lecture and at the end of the lecture, uh, you can get a, a readout of a summary of, of what was discussed with AI. You can use AI to summarize web articles. Uh, you can use AI to do more advanced searches. You can circle something with the stylus that comes with the phone uh, and get insight through Google search. And this is all powered by the Google Gemini models, their nano model, their pro model. They're also talking about integrating their ultra model. Uh, so it's AI everywhere rather than major hardware or software upgrades. So I think that's where the industry is going. You're going to see Apple do the same this fall. Uh, the iPhone 16 is not going to be some massive overhaul. I do think the, the camera change Changes that Apple will be making this year are more significant than what Samsung has done this year. But in terms of major fundamental shifts, it's all about AI this year from Samsung to Apple. Uh, the other thing that Samsung did was they teased a smart ring. Uh, this is a competitor to Aura. Uh, the company tells us it'll be on sale before the end of the year. Yeah. And we think it's an exciting new product category for them. Uh, Bloomberg's chief correspondent, Mark Gurman, thank you. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.